0: So with that, let's look at Jude. What I want to do is, if you don't have a Bible, you're going to need one. We're in Jude, we're in the last two verses of Jude. Um, Instead of reading our scripture lesson today, which is the first two last two verses in Jude, I'm going to uh, try, you can't do this often because it's such a small book, I'm going to try to walk through the book really quickly and bring us to the place where I want everyone to be to hear verse 24 and verse 25. So I'm going to walk through the book and then we're going to hear verse 24 and 25, okay? So I'm going to dismiss the kids. You can go. Um, CDs are available for the teachers. Let's not be too excited about going. All right, everybody come back now. Funny. Children's program. (laughs) Okay. Jude chapter one. I'm going to be Jude for a moment. As if I was writing this book and and telling you a little bit about what's going on in this book, and then we'll read verse 24 and 25. So, yes, I'm Jude. I know I'm the half-brother of Jesus, but he's my Lord and he's my master and I'm his slave. Let me remind you of God's grace. When he called you, you, you were dead. You were dead in your sins. You had no life in you at all. But then out of death, just like Lazarus came out of the grave, he made you alive and all because of his eternal love for you. And because He called you in love, He kept you. I want to rejoice with you in our salvation, but I was compelled. I was compelled to write to you to earnestly and fervently contend for the faith, the body, the truth, the Scriptures, the ones handed down by Jesus to His apostles have been handed to you, namely the Gospel. I heard that there were certain men that within your community, our own community of faith, are teaching things that are contrary to the Gospel. They're ungodly men, they pervert God's grace, leading themselves and others into licentiousness, even denying our Master and our Lord. But but just think, we know from past their end is destruction. Remember those Jesus rescued from the land of Egypt, yet many of them were destroyed because they failed to believe. And then, of course, the angels, in their pride, left their position of authority, and God has kept them in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until that day of judgment. Also recall, church, Sodom and Gomorrah, how their sexual immorality and their eternal punishment of fire serves as an example of the fate of the false teachers. These men among you, they rely on dreams rather than the word of God. They defile the flesh. They reject authority and disrespect angels. Even, Mark, even the archangel Michael knew better. While contending for the body of Moses, he did not pronounce judgment, but said, Thus the Lord rebuke you. These ungodly men, unreasoning animals, selfish, self-serving, are going to be destroyed. They appear to have something to say, but they're empty, filthy, and await the gloom of utter darkness that has been reserved for them forever. Even Enoch himself prophesied concerning the judgment of godly teachers, of ungodly teachers in their ungodly deeds. I'm warning you. I'm warning you. Verse 14, I'm warning you, watch out for these grumblers. Verse 16, these grumblers, these loudmouths, these scoffers, the same ones the apostles of Jesus had already told us about. They're not Christians. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They're looking to cause divisions in your church. But you, church, keep yourself in the love of God by building up yourself in the Word of God. Verse 21, and praying in the Spirit of God, continually looking up to the coming of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, where we await His eternal mercy. And while we wait for that day... The day Jesus will come back and show us eternal mercy. Show the same kind of mercy and compassion that you have received from God and re- will receive at His coming. To those among you who are wavering in doubts, they're listening to these false teachers. Act tenderly toward those. But to those who have gotten closer to the fire, snatch them quickly before they burn. Yet there are those who have been so caught up in false teaching that they're stained with sin. Get them too. But be very careful you do not join them in their sin. Now to Him. While you remember the gospel, now to Him. While you fight against apostasy, now to Him. While you stand upon the truth of the gospel, unto Him. While you enter into battle for the souls of others, while you take on the heretics who are devoid of the Spirit, whose end is eternal fire, now to Him. Who is able to keep you, verse 24, from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, be majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. That's our text. That's a glorious doxology. Doxa, glory, ology, logos, word, the praise, the glory of God. Jude ends with a doxology. Jude, doesn't, Jude does not end with a benediction. There's a little difference. A benediction is where, God blesses, where, where, where God's blessing is announced upon you. That's a benediction. A doxology is where you praise and bless God. Doxologies throughout Scripture, you don't see the word in there, but you see it certainly expressed in many Scriptures, even in the Old Testament. The end of the five books of the Psalms, you see the doxology in Ephesians 1, 3, blessings, ascribing Him, glory in Romans 11, Ephesians 3. They're associated with God's salvation in the beginning of Luke in New Testament. We see a doxology of the birth of Christ. Doxology says something that that who who God is. It says something that that what God has promised to do and to ascribe him the the attributes uh, to God, to his action of who he is and what he is doing and is going to do. That's the doxology. In Jude 25, he says, The only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, authority before all time and now and forevermore. And Judah is rejoicing. Jude is praising. Jude is reveling and celebrating two things as he jumps into verse 25. We see it in verse 24, that God keeps us from stumbling and that God presents us before his glory, blameless with great joy, and then just explodes into the praising of the character and attributes of God. So as we look at this text As we run into the text, I should say, we'll see the power of God in preservation. We'll see the presentation of God in purity, in our purity, And, and we'll see that we are the one being presented. God is ushering us into his presence. And finally, the personhood, as we see the attributes of God, and erupting into praise. So Jude, in verse 24, as we see this power of God Now, to him who was able to keep you from stumbling. Now, let me say this before we move further in the text. Listen carefully. If the final, definitive, and decisive cause, if the final, definitive, and decisive reason for me to remain a follower of Christ to the end is upon me, my decision, my keeping power, my holding on to God, I am utterly doomed. I will never make it. I am not in any way belittling our responsibility or our obligation and our salvation to work it out. Philippians, I am simply stating a fact from my own experience and most importantly from Scripture. That ultimately, the preservation of God's people to the end is a decisive cause and work of God. That's what Jude is saying. Ultimately, it is God who keeps us. And I praise God because I am amazed that I'm still a Christian. John 10:27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Romans 8.38, I'm persuaded, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, or powers, anything present, things to come, height, nor death, or all creation shall separate us. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me give you one more, Peter 1. Paul, we have Jesus, we have Paul, we have Jude here, and now Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept, here's that word, in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. I can go on and on, but I won't. The doctrine, the teaching of the preservation of the saints, the doctrine or the teaching of eternal security is essential to have an accurate understanding of the gospel. An accurate understanding of the gospel. The bottom line is this if I can lose it, it's not eternal. If I can work my way out of salvation, and my salvation is ultimately dependent upon me, what I do, and not God. That is frightening. What happens then to our confidence? What happens to contending for the faith? I might shrink back. I might not want to uh, get into the battle. I may not want to rescue wavering souls, doubting souls. I could be led astray. I too could fall away into immorality as these false teachers were doing. But Jude is assuring his readers and he assures us today with this beautiful doxology reminding them and us that God is able to keep us from stumbling. That word able, important word, dunamai. It comes from the word dunamas, where we get our English word dynamic and dynamite. It is the miraculous, mighty, Power of God, He is able to keep you. Actually, the word "keep" is a little bit different here than in our uh, other texts. In verse one, verse six, verse thirteen, that word "keep" means to be to be kept by observing and by watching. Here in this, now to be able to keep you is a different word. It has to do with keeping a prisoner or or someone in custody to guard, to to guard to protect the sheep. Uh, the shepherds were guarding the sheep by night Luke 2 there's a there's a sense where it implies that there's some sort of need of protection from wolves and from outside sources sources yes we must watch verse 21 and keep close to the lord but only god only god can guard so that we do not stumble and jude wants the genuine believers in the congregation jude wants us today who have placed their faith and trust in Christ, to contend for the faith and to be assured of their eternal hope, unlike unlike the eternal fate of of the false teachers that he wrote about so eloquently. Jude calls the church to action, to take responsibility, to, to be careful and to be diligent, but when all is said and done, who will keep you from stumbling? God is alone. God alone will do that. God alone is our keeper. God alone is our refuge. It is ultimately God who keeps and guards us. And now God is most worthy to be praised. God is most worthy to be praised for his ability to keep them and keep us from stumbling like a runner. Who's finishing the, the course without tripping and falling? That's the metaphor. It is God who first perseveres with us, keeping us from falling away. Otherwise, we would all we would all crash and burn. And this assurance that Jude gives us is, is, is meant to give confidence to those in the battle. I'll say that again. This assurance is meant to bring confidence to those in the battle, not confidence to those who are sitting on the sidelines. And isn't that how assurance works? Because he perseveres, we also persevere. There is the sovereignty of God and the personal responsibility of man. And the clear teaching of Scripture on the security of the believer or, or the preservation of the saints or the perseverance of God is not meant to give any false sense of security for those who are not Christians. So if you're here this morning and you're just playing church, if you're here this morning because, you know, you, 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 you know, you grow up in a Christian home. Your friends and family are Christians. You, you know, you say all the right things. You get yourself involved in, in Christian work, but there's been no real change of your heart. There's been no rebirth, no regeneration, no awakening of your soul to the gospel. Please don't rest on being eternally secure because you're not. Remember Second Peter. Peter wrote, "Whoever lacks these qualities—virtue, self-control, knowledge, godliness." is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, he says, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling. Not, not to go and, and work in your, conf, uh, your calling. He doesn't say that. Be diligent to confirm the grace of God, the work of God, your calling and election. For if these practices, these qualities with these practices, for if you practice these things, these qualities will be in you, you will not fall. So salvation is a free gift of God, for sure. And his preservation is by his grace, for sure. But eternal security for those who have a genuine change of heart, who've been born again, who who have had the awakening to the gospel. As we fight the good fight, as we grow in our faith, we experience the assurance of faith subjectively. What God has done objectively family we are secure the moment we say yes to Christ but it is working these things out in our lives from the objective truth of the gospel to the subjective reality of our lives are being changed that we have a sense of assurance god is working and that's why it's wrong to some to say to somebody and we see it all the time especially in ministry yeah, they raised their hand or they signed a card and then, and then 4,500 scripture verses about their security in Christ. I wouldn't do that. Not that they've got to work toward their salvation. They certainly do not. But they will grow. And as they grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, as they, we see the heart changed, they will take what is objective truth, the gospel, and subjectively realize it in their own life that God has saved them and they can be assured of their salvation, which is by the grace of God alone. And as you live your life out and God is working in your heart by grace, it will bring assurance to your salvation. I've been a Christian 30 years. More and more I grow into the reality that I'm not clinging to Christ, it is Christ clinging to me. No matter how much I grow in godliness, and that's not much, I'm still assured that God got a hold of me, otherwise I would be doomed. I mean, that is so clear to me today. Even more as I grow in the knowledge and faith of Christ. So remember Jude says... It's a dangerous thing to live for Christ in a culture. It's a dangerous thing to live for Christ in a culture that calls good evil and evil good. It's a dangerous thing to try to to rescue men and women and children for the gospel out of this culture. Because, listen, if you battle with doubters, you may start to doubt. If you get too near the fire it could burn you. If you get too near the garments that are stained by the flesh, you may get defiled. So, let's withdraw. Is that the answer? No. I believe this doxology teaches us that we are to contend for the faith, fight against the forces of evil, face the dangers involved, but be strong in the Lord and in His might and in His Keeping power. This doesn't mean we're going to be kept from sin. But it does mean we are not going to be, in the end, doomed. In eternal destruction like those Jude has already told us. The power of God in the preservation of man. Secondly is the presentation. Look what it says. Now, to him who is able to keep you. It's kind of the negative. The positive is. Uh, to keep you from stumbling in the positive, to present you, to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. If you're a believer here this morning, there's no greater joy than you will experience on that day. On that day, standing on that day, rejoicing in your salvation. I heard someone say this week, if I make it to heaven, Jesus is not going to stop hearing about it. I'm just going to keep (laughs) thanking him for it. This is what Jude is referring to. Literally, to present you, some of your translation says, to make you stand. Here's the thing. We cannot stand before God. We cannot, in and of ourselves, be ushered into his presence all alone. Why? Because we're sinful. Because we are blemished. The prophet Malachi imagined a glorious day of being ushered into the cosmic courtroom at the end of time. And this is what he said, Malachi. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? The answer is no one. The rhetorical question answer is no one. Not on the basis of lives we have lived. But yet Jude sees something going on here. Jude sees something of the transformation that will occur that will enable believers in Christ to face that holiness of God, the holiness of God in the presence of God without flinching. Why? Look, because on that day, God will usher us into his presence and we will be Amamos, blameless. And that word blameless is used over and over in the Old Testament. The Jewish half-brother of Jesus, Jude, brings in an Old Testament word of the sacrifice of that day in the temple and in the, the tabernacle, God told his people that when they come and they present their sacrifices, they are to be blameless. Come with your sacrificial offering, but it must be blameless, without fault. The bulls, the rams, the lambs, all that's offering had to be perfect. Moses told the people in Leviticus, giving him the law. He says, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when any of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. You see, the Israelites were learning that their offering, um, their sacrificial animal, had to be faultless, had to be blameless, because they were learning that they too had to be blameless coming into the presence of God. David knew it. In Psalm 51, he says, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall enter into your presence? Who shall dwell in your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right. He who walks blamelessly and does what is right. Now, that's not me. That's not me. Actually, that, that's a hard lesson to learn. Israel, the Israelites had to learn it when they were in exile. They refused to listen. And God said, you will dwell with me no more. And out to Babylon they went. No one could, no one No one can produce enough integrity and moral purity, which is what God really demands from his worshipers. No one can produce the integrity and moral purity, which is what God really demands from his worshipers, until Jesus. Until Jesus. His perfect life, his atoning death, changes everything. For he died a sacrificial death. As a lamb without blemish. Without blemish or defect. Listen to this magnificent portion of scripture. Hebrews 9. But when Christ appeared. As a high priest of the good things that have come. Then through the greater and more perfect tent. Not made with hands. That is not of this creation. Going back to the Jewish sacrifices. He Jesus entered once for all into the Holy places, that's the presence of God. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of, of defiled persons with the blood, with the, with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more, you know, we did it on a, on a yearly basis just to, to get through that year, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he, Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant. That's what Jude is saying. Jude is using Old Testament wording to show that that the ultimate purity of Christians is is that they share, now listen, the ultimate purity of Christians is that we share in the purity of Christ. Not yours, not mine. What are, we, what, what, what are we being kept for? The day of our salvation in the glorious eternal presence of our God and we shall be full of joy because we will be found without fault, blameless. The Christian is in Christ and therefore faultless and without blame as Christ's blood cleanses us, and his righteousness is imputed or credited to us, we are incorporated into the blameless one. It's not you, it's him. His name is Jesus. And Jude, is in this doxology, has a clear view of God transforming and cleansing power in the life of those who believe, assuring them that they will not be swept away into eternal judgment like the apostates. The heretics, they are, they are condemned for the dreadful, filthy, ungodly deeds. The believer will stand faultless before our God. You see, when we are made clean and when we trust in Christ, when we believe his atoning sacrifice cleanses us, there's no fear of that day. There's no dread of God's inspection of us because when we stand before him in his glory, his eternal greatness and beauty, we are faultless, not faultless. Because of our own works, not from our own efforts, not because of our own determination. We will be found blameless because of the perfect life the, uh, of the spotless Son of God and will in the end be overwhelmed with joy in His presence. So Jude says to us this morning and to them in that day Contend for the faith, go and have compassion on the doubters tenderly call them to the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Go and quickly contend for the faith of those who are close to the fire and carefully go and contend for the faith of those who are defiled. The power of God in His perseverance, the presence of God in our purity. Remember, family remember, ultimately end of the day, at the end of the era, at the end of your life, your defilement is washed by the blood-stained cross of Christ. Christ. That's why we love to sing. We did already. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless, faultless. We just sang it. To stand before the throne. Faultless to stand before the throne. That's not your faultlessness and blamelessness. That's Christ. Praise the presence and look at the person in verse 25. Let's go right to the doxology. He's able to keep you from stumbling. He's able to present you blameless for the presence to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, I know, probably everybody in this room has been taught some way, shape, or form, whether in school or wherever you are, that there are many gods. There are many roads. There are many ways to God. All of us worship the same God. We just have different ways of doing it. That's a lie. In the culture of that day and in our pluralistic culture, there's a profession that there are many gods, many lords, many ways. The Christian belief and what the scripture teaches that there is the only God. See that? And it's rooted in the Old Testament, the Shema, Deuteronomy 4. Every Jewish man said it several times a day. Hero O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And the Old Testament and the New Testament emphasizes over and over and over again that there is only one God and there is only one God who saves. Paul tells Timothy in chapter 1, he is the king of kings, king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, monotheo, only God. The Christian teaching about our salvation is there is one holy, personal, loving God who made the world, who sustained the world, who saves the world, and redeems us through Jesus Christ. There is only one, the triune God of the Bible. That's what Jude is saying. The Westminster Confession summarizes this and says it this way. In the unity of the Godhead, there be three persons of one substance, power, and eternity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, end quote. It was the Father who planned salvation and sent His Son. It was the Son who came and procured salvation. It was was by His perfect life, His substitutionary death and resurrection. And it's the Holy Spirit who applies this great work to our hearts. It is the Holy Spirit who opens our hearts to see the need of our salvation and the beauty of our Savior and the ability to say, Yes, I need Christ. And he's the one who brings us into union with Christ, baptized in the Spirit. The Father saved, the Son secures, and the Spirit seals us for the day of redemption. You could put it that way. One God working in our salvation, and Jude is praising him. In Acts chapter 4, we read, there is no salvation, and there is salvation in no one else. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name. No other name. When we say name, we just don't mean just calling out his name. We mean the person behind it, the personhood of that name, Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven giving among men, which we might be saved very clear. We get a convoluted in our culture. We're like, well, maybe, no, they knew what they were saying then. I know that's not politically correct. I know that's not even theologically correct in some circles, but it's right from Scripture. Psalm 79, help us, O God, Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. Listen, there are a lot of saviors in that day. And there are a lot of saviors in our day. They abound. Judas clearly claiming exclusivity. The Greek god Zeus, called the great savior, even the Roman emperors of that day, given the title of the God and Savior Emperor. But Jude, along with the rest of Scripture, affirms this one God, the only God, He's not only judge of all, but he's not only their savior. He is the only savior. That's what Jude is saying. And remember Jude back in verse three, I, I wanted to write to you our common salvation, but I scratched that idea. Kind of fits it in here. He's just, he's just kind of in his note. He bring him back this topic and he wants to assure them. He wants to inspire hope and faith in God who is truly their savior. So what savior are you trusting in today? Who's your savior? Who are you worshiping? Who will you turn to when you realize that entering into the presence of a holy God is not possible? I know that I'm a sinner. I know I have faults. I know that my faults and my sin is keeping me from the presence of God. Who are you trusting? Who are you worshiping? The only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Are we worshiping our jobs? Are we worshiping our popularity, our family, our power, our prominence, our sex, money, whatever it is? It's called idolatry. Verse 25 again. Unto the only God, one and only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord. To him be glory, majesty, dominion, authority. Now, there is not a total agreement on what exactly Jude is saying. I just want to share this with you. Jude is either saying God is the only Savior that's through Jesus Christ... Or that glory and majesty and dominion and authority is given or ascribed only through Jesus Christ? In other words, it is through Jesus Christ the Lord that God saves man and is worthy of praise? Or the fact that glory and praise can only be properly given through the Savior Jesus Christ? You could think about that. What's so cool, as I, I'm reading the commentators, I'm looking at the Greek, and I'm, no one's really sure, and I thought... And I'm not that bright. I'm like, I, I don't know. And then I thought, and I thought, they're both true. Well, that makes life easy. <laughs> all praise and glory and majesty, dominion and authority are acceptable to God only through Jesus Christ because of his mediatorial role in worship. Our salvation and therefore the ability to praise God is only through Christ. Therefore, all glory and honor and majesty belong to him. I'm like, oh, that, that's fair enough. And the point is, we are ascribing these attributes to God. We're ascribing the attributes of God to God that explode into praise because of who He is. All dominion and authority belong to Him and because what He has done through Jesus Christ, the Savior of man. Now, there are a lot of reasons to praise God. (laughs) But here, the glory and majesty and dominion and authority is ascribed to God because He keeps you in union with Christ. He's guarded your salvation. He keeps us trusting in Him. He keeps us in the love, in His love. He has secured us, even sinners, when Christ died in atoning death, absorbing the wrath we deserve, paying the penalty for our sin, therefore all glory and majesty and dominion and authority that keeps us from falling and presents us blameless, full of joy to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we should not only praise God for his preserving us from sin by his power. We should not only praise God for his perfecting grace that he will see us to the end. We should not only praise God because he's the only God and Savior. We should praise God because his salvation is secured for us and it is through Jesus Christ our Lord. We are to bless God. He saves us by the life of Christ. It is through Jesus Christ that he rescues and saves man. And through Jesus Christ alone that God receives and is ascribed to the Father, the glory and and dominion and honor that's due his name. They're both true. You see, God made us worshipers. He made us to glorify and enjoy him in all of life as well in the gathering here this morning. And therefore, when we ascribe glory and majesty and dominion and authority to God, we do it through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And because of all he has done for us, for who he is and what he has done, be glory. Doxa, again. Doxology, the splendor and honor and beauty of God and is saving us from our sins. It literally means, doxa literally means uh, 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 weightiness. God's glory is intrinsic. Intrinsic, infinite value and worth in himself above all things. Listen to these two verses I want want to share with you. Listen to Leviticus 10 and Isaiah 6. And I want you to catch what what he's saying about glory. Okay, see if you can catch this. When Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be holy. And before other people, I will be glorified. Isaiah 6, Isaiah encountering the living God and the cherubims are there, they're calling out to one another and it says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth now is what? Full of his glory. You see that? When God shows himself to be holy, when God shows his moral purity like no other, holy, different, W-H-O-L-L-Y, his perfection, his righteousness, and when that goes public, we see His infinite value and glory. To be all glory. That's why Paul writes, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ is the image of God. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where? In the face of Jesus Christ. The glory of God is seen most clearly in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Be all Glory. Greatness, preeminence, infinite value. He is holy. What He has done in our salvation and who He is in His keeping power be all glory be to you. Majesty. Glory, majesty. Megalucene. Where we get our word mega. It's greatness and magnificent. It, it, the only God is great. It refers to this, to this awesome, transcendent, kingly, attribute, his his majesty. When we praise God, we praise him who's the most great and most magnificent person in the universe. Listen, he's not simply the king. He's not simply the Lord. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Moses prays at the end of his life, I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. King David says in Psalm 145, great is the Lord, greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. Glory, kingly majesty, awesomeness in his greatness. Now, dominion and authority. Dominion is the word kratos. It it comes from our our English word krasi, meaning um, democracy, uh, the rule of the people, demos, people. Or or bureaucracy, literally means ruled by desks. Theocracy, ruled by God. All, All dominion, all rulership. Is our God. Psalm 22 All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. Dominion, authority, exousia means his right to rule. His authority and right to rule. They're close, but they're a little bit different. It means that he is sovereign and he is ruling. He has the right and authority to rule all life and direction are going according to his plans and purposes. That's what sovereignty means. God has the power, the right, and authority to govern all things for his own wise and holy purposes, working all things out in his wise and eternal plans and purposes for his own glory and for our good. And if you're here and you're a Christian this morning, we need to praise God for his sovereignty. His sovereign work is keeping us eternally safe and guarded for us the salvation in which he provided for us that we can stand because of his sovereignty, because of his power, because of his dominion, because of his majesty, and because of his glory, we can stand in his presence faultless before him and secured in his hand. And notice he ends with God's eternality. Look, before all time, God did not acquire these attributes at some place, at some time. They are eternal, before all creation, before time began. And what God was before all time, he is now. Look what it says. Before all time and now. In Jude's day, in our day, this moment. His character will also endure throughout eternity. Look what it says. Before all time and now and forever. Forever. Jude already mentioned the eternal state of the false teachers. Verse 13, now he assures, he's assuring us that what comes from God is that he is sovereign throughout the never-ending age. He covers the past, he covers the present, and he covers the future. Rejoice! God's character, his attributes endure forever. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is glorious, God is sovereign from eternity past to eternity future. And he touches everything, and then he says, amen. Let it be so. Truth. Or we would say, yes. He's able to keep you from stumbling, to keep you, so that one day he will make you stand in his presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. All glory goes to him, all because of his keeping power this is the praise to God, the only God, the only Savior, who through Jesus Christ will receive all glory and honor and majesty and dominion and authority forever. For he's able to keep us and make us stand. For His glory, He will keep us. For His glory, He will keep us. In His majesty, He will keep us. Through His dominion, He will keep us. By His authority, He will keep us. Amen. Amen. You could say it, Amen. Ligon Duncan, Dr. Ligon Duncan, tells a story about a man named Douglas Macmillan. You may know him. He taught church history at the Free Church College. He's passed on as an evangelist in Britain. He was converted at the age of twenty-one, and but while he was younger in junior high school, he was um, influenced by communist teachers. And he abandoned his faith. He had grown up in a godly home. His father was an elder. His mother was a, was a godly woman uh, involved in the church. And he fell away. And he went on to live a very wild life in his late teens. And in his early 20s, 2021, his dying mother, she was, had cancer and she was dying. And the last few weeks of her life, she had so much pain that she couldn't sleep. And she would stay up and she would read her Bible and she would sing. And, and she just was in so much pain. But Douglas had heard her in many nights singing and and praying. While he was out carousing, he would come home at night and he would hear her. And then one night, just a few days before she died, as the mother was up, dying of cancer, very sick and a lot of pain, she heard her son come in. And she said to her son, I want you to read the scripture to me. She had two things in mind. One, she wanted to reflect on the goodness and greatness of God, sort of like a doxology. And the other one reason, as she said, is she wanted Douglas to hear the words of scripture. And she wanted to question him and press some things home to him. She said, Douglas, come and read to me my Bible. He loved his mom and was willing to do that even though he didn't share it in his faith. And she said, Douglas, would you read for me from John 14? And he began reading these precious words from Jesus to his disciples on the night he was betrayed. He, wrote, he read to his mother, peace I leave you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, I give unto you. don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And from that, she said, that's enough, Douglas. He said, Mom, Mom, I, I can read more. He said, That's enough, Douglas. I just have one question I, ask, I want to ask you. In just a few hours, I'm going to be with Jesus. Will you meet me there? You know, it, it, would be a, it would be a shame to end Jude with this wonderful doxology without asking that question. Will you be there to praise and worship God in all eternity? We have to praise and worship God in the present. Are you secured in your salvation? Do you understand that there's only one God through Jesus Christ our Lord? Where are you at? Can we praise him today? As the band comes up, as we we worship him and as we praise him, let's stand together. And let's read this doxology. And I want to, I, I want to, I want to encourage you. If you've never given your life to Christ, I'm praying the Holy Spirit will will bring you now to the place of saying, "I can't enter into His presence faultless. I have fault, and the only way I can is through the blood of Christ. And I I accept that. I receive that. He died for my sins. He rose for my for my for my justification. And now I'm turning from my sin. I'm trusting in Christ. I'm worshiping Christ alone. He will be my worship. He will be my God. He's the only true God. If you've never done that, do so. As we read this doxology as we pray. And if you're a believer here this morning, be encouraged. Get into the battle. Get into the fight. But be strong in the Lord. And persevere in his might, his power, his keeping power. And that we will be blameless and faultless because of Jesus. Not because of you, but because of Jesus. Let's read this together. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling